I want you to look at this picture. I'm not much for trivia. In fact, uh, I'm not good at it at all. <laughs> so the only thing trivia that I could add to if, if I have any kind of repertoire would be sports related. And even that goes by the wayside as every year passes because it's not as important to me. That said, this is cool trivia and there's a purpose for this trivia. So I'm going to share this with you. This picture on your left is sand from a very special place. That special place is Maui. If you look at sand from all over the world, they look very, very different. And some sand is just all unique. And I mean, unique, but they look very similar to each other. Is you look at this and not, no two would look alike. Very, very unique. And these, these grain of sand that you're looking at are maximum one millimeter or maybe in a, ha a half a millimeter I should say so it gives you an idea of how small if those of you that know your measurements what we're looking at a lot of these are so tiny you cannot see unless it's going to be under a microscope now contrast that to the stars it is estimated and that's all these are that there is approximately a sextillion amount of granules of sand on all the world's beaches. And the way they get that is to average the average size beach, multiply by all the beaches, and so on and so forth, and then they come up with this number, which I want to know, what about on the ocean floor <laughs> and all, everywhere else? But anyway, so they've taken that and they've estimated about a sextillion number. If, for those of you that don't know, you got your millions, then your billions, then your trillions and quadrillions, right? So all the sextillion, septillion, octillion, so on and so forth. These numbers are so huge, it's mind-boggling. I mean, I remember when the word trillion was new to us, and now it's like, eh, trillion dollars of debt. 20, I mean, it's just fascinating what we're talking about with these numbers. It is estimated that our entire universe that we are able to see has approximately a sextillion number of stars. So you take about 100 to 500 billion stars in the galaxy that, that we live in, the Milky Way, multiplied by over 100 billion galaxies or however many galaxies there are. And for those of you that know this, I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm just sharing information and I may not even be sharing it all accurately, but I'm trying my best. But that's just the staggering number of stars. And so the question many have is, are there more grains of sand on all these beaches than there are stars in the universe? And the consensus, the general consensus, is that there's a lot more stars than there are sands on beaches. That's why I was wanting to know, well, what about the rest underneath, you know, in the ocean, on the ocean floor? And so I don't know what the answer is, but that's staggering. You know what really is really cool? You take this small grain of sand that has got to be less than two-tenths of a millimeter, and you have more atoms in that one grain of sand then there are all the stars of the universe that's fascinating think about it I don't care what number you have as tiny as it is you would think that's big stuff when you add that many all these zeros now why am I sharing this with you we just read in the 139th Psalm about our God and how great he is 
And I want to take the time this morning in the 139th Psalm to look at how great God is in light of this trivial information. So from the didyouknowblog.com, it says it's been estimated that there are more stars in the universe than there are grains, I spelled it wrong, grains of sand on earth, but there are more atoms in one grain of sand than there are stars in the universe. So you think about that. In fact, so much so that I enjoyed this trivia, I decided, well, how big is an atom? And I was trying to look, and of course, there's different kinds of atoms and thus different sizes because the size is not just the, the new. Those of you who took your science classes in college, you got your, your nucleus, right? And you got your protons and neutrons. And then on the outside is that your electrons. And I was looking, well, you know, on all the pictures that I've seen, the nucleus, you can actually see it. But the nucleus is so tiny that if you wanted to be able to see that nucleus, if that nucleus was the size of a marble, your atom, where all the electrons are on the exterior part of that atom, would have to be the size of a football stadium in the form of a ball. That's how huge that, that atom would have to be to be blown up so that you can see this little nucleus. And within that, you got your protons, right? Your neutrons. you got the electrons that are so tiny. That's fascinating that we're talking about these staggering um, big things where you take one sun and take a billion of those one suns and that would make another star, one of the larger stars in our universe. It's just, just staggering feats of numbers when we look at size, whether they be small, minuscule, almost undetectable to sizes that are so large we can't even imagine. We just throw numbers at them. And so when we're looking at this, I want you to consider this word from the 147th Psalm. The 147th Psalm in verse 4 says, because of our God and how great he is, he counts the number of the stars and he names each one. Now, <laughs> staggering. Our scientists, from all that I could read, says that they've named a few hundred stars. Not a thousand or a million, or a billion, or a trillion, or a gazillion, as our daughters would use, or a bajillion. <laughs> but numbers that are so staggering, and the scriptures say, he calls them all by name. Now, that's trivia, right? If trivia is such where, you know, this is insignificant information, and this insignificant information, it tells us that God calls these stars that are so, in, so innumerable, that he would name them one by one. How much more for us that he actually made in his image? Think about this. Every one of us in this room, including the billions of people that are currently on our planet and the billions of people that have preceded us, are made in his image. How much more if God could name every single star that he would think of you? one by one. This 139th Psalm is the fact that God knows us well, knows us better than we know ourselves. And there's going to be a reason for this, and I want to read just how great his love, his knowledge, and his care is for us, and then the reason why. I want to back up to verse 1 of this psalm. I want to read the entire psalm. It's, it's actually a prayer almost in song-like. Well, it is in song-like, I should say. It's like four stanzas, if you will, or strophes. 
And this song in this prayer is broken down every six verses. The first two are very clear. The last two are more vague, but, but you get the idea. Read this, and each one has a message. O oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought after off, or far off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. There is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O oh Lord, you know it altogether. You have hedged me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book, they are all written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, you bloodthirsty men, for they speak against you wickedly. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate them, O Lord, who hate you? Do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. And see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way of the everlasting. There's a debate whether King David actually wrote this song or if it was years after him and after the captivity had taken place. But that said, while there may be questions, particularly with the very last six verses, I'm going to focus in on those first three, if you will, the first 18 verses the first three stanzas, if you will, of this, to focus on what God knows about us. And I want us to just look briefly, not in depth, but very briefly at these points. And I want you to see the end of this psalm, if you will, the intent. First thing is, as we look at these first six verses, God knows everything about you. Now, when I say you, I mean every single person he's ever created. <coughs> But later on, we're going to see the difference between those whom have a relationship with God and those that don't. I'll use that in the invitation. 
in this passage, he knows what we do. He knows what we think. He knows what we'll say before we say it. And now you think about that. Some people, because of a passage like the 139th Psalm, question, well then, if God knows all things and he does all ahead of time, do we even have a choice? Right? That's the obvious debate that goes on for eternity, it seems like. The fact remains, brethren, we all make our choices. But just because we make our choices does not mean God doesn't know them. And some have retorted back to me when I've had these very discussions. Well, then God chooses not to know. And the biblical example they give to me is one where, remember when um, Abraham was told by God, go and sacrifice your only begotten son. And though, so Abraham goes and takes Isaac. And a Abraham is ready to slay his son. And God says, stop. Now I know that you would not have withheld your only begotten son. See, God chose not to know. But then you can go to the book of Isaiah. I don't know if it's chapter 43 or 46, verse 1, where Isaiah as a prophet is alive 150 years before the king of Persia comes on the scene. His name is Cyrus. And he refers to Cyrus, the prophet does, speaking on God's behalf as my shepherd. He talks about Cyrus by name over a century before Cyrus is even born and would be used to fulfill God's will. And if that's not enough, Jesus himself, hundreds of prophecies about Jesus before he even steps foot on planet earth. What, what we're seeing is the omniscience of God. And what the writer of this inspired psalm says, he knows what we do, or, and he's speaking of himself. He knows what we think. He knows what we're saying before we even says it. And yet, through all of this, knowing even the wickedness and evils within an individual who loves God, he still protects you. That's what he says. He says, it is too much for me to understand. It is too high. I cannot attain it. This is the God that creates a universe that is so vast that we have numbers that we try to use to count just stars that are too big for us. We could not even reach them. Levi said, well, you know, if we were to, can we travel out and, and find these places? I said, we would never be able to travel there. I mean, you have to make up time travel. <laughs> In fact, I think we have, right? Made it up, but we have never done it. We can't do it, I don't think. And, and yet... For God, he spoke it into existence. We read that in Genesis chapter 1. So he knows everything about us. But more than that, look at how he cares for this psalmist and how he cares for everyone who he's created. He said, wherever I go, you're there. Verse 7. Whether I go up high into the heavens, and when he says down to the hell, depending on the translation, it means down under in the earth below the surface, if you will, that was regarded as the word hell, not this fiery place of damnation per se, but just you go to the lowest parts of the earth, you go to the highest heavens, and wherever you are, you're there. Wherever I go, you're there. Whether I go far to the east or far to the west, whether I go in the mountains or out into the ocean, where, wherever, you, wherever I go, there you are. And not only that, it says you lead me and you lead me with your strong arm, your right arm. 
In other words, there's no place that is hidden from him. Even the darkest place is like daytime to him. So he knows everything about you. And you cannot get away from his presence. There your spirit is. There you are. So what's the whole purpose of this? Well, that whole purpose can be found, I believe, in verses 13 through 18. That's what was read for us by Ben. And I want to focus in on verses 13 through 18, and particularly when we get toward the end, verses 17 and 18. So in verse 13, you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I want to just take a little parenthesis, just because this is really cool. Uh, just before services, not only did we have the bad news, but Julie was called away. So she's not with us right now. She is um, tending to Rebecca Reese. She goes to church up in Brentwood. She is giving birth, I think, to their fourth or fifth. Is it fourth? Sixth. Sixth? <laughs> okay. So they're trying to outdo us. <laughs> no, so sixth child, I guess. Fifth or sixth is what I'm hearing five and six. Okay, six. Okay. Wow. So I, that seems so much larger when someone else is going to have six children. <laughs> so anyway, I'm looking at this and... And I'm saying here, this miraculous ability, first of all, we, we have in giving birth. And yet, look at what God does. You formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works. And that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. It's kind of like that, that grain of sand that, that looks like you see the shape and everything, but when you look at it from your eyes, you can't see anything. That tiny little grain of sand, it just looks circular at best. And here it is, when you zoom in on it, you see just the beauty, the, just the beauty like a jewel. And in your book, they were all written. The days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. In other words, when we look at our God and all that he's done for us, there's a reason why he knows us so intimately. There's a reason why he cares for us. There's a reason why he lets us know that wherever you are, I'm there as well. You cannot run from me. Jonah tried, didn't work. Wherever we are in our lives, the highest point of life, the lowest point in life, physically, emotionally, God is there. Because he made us. He created us. And when you think of all the specifics that this psalmist is talking about, he said he gives thanks. Here's the unfortunate side to this 139th Psalm. It's found in Romans chapter 1. In Romans chapter 1, when you read verse 18 following, verse 18, 19 and following, there's a contrast between what you have in those that give thanks to our Creator and those who may see His creation and even marvel at His creation but do not give Him thanks. That's what we see in our world today. The same God 
that made every single one of us on this planet who thinks so very much that if he can call every star that has ever been created by name and and whether that's an idiomatic expression or God literally has done so the point is you who are made in his image are infinitely more important to him he made you in his image as was noted this morning in in the prayer to glorify him Dusty mentioned it in leading that song this is my father's world We're here to honor and glorify the one who made us. And not just any God who made us, a God who loves you so intimately, he knows you better than you know yourself. And he is able to save you from yourself. That's the God of this 139th Psalm. That's the God of the gospel that we proclaim to our world, that we live in. That's what we're looking at. In other words... If God can know this untold number of things that he has created outside of us, how much more for those who belong to him? I want you to think about that for a second. The reason why I say this is, you know, as we're going through this quarter and having our Bible study here in the, in the auditorium class about discouragement... And you might come across, and this is next week for, for those who are going to come to our, our study next week. You can read 1 John chapter 3, verse 20. You may have struggles about your faith, about your walk with God. Your struggle may be because just as we looked at the sermon a couple of months ago, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. You may have a heart that even condemns yourself like, well, you know, I do this, I do that. I, I just, I can never really get it right in my service to God. Anyone ever feel that way? I, sometimes I feel like that as a parent. Like, I wish I could be a better father, a better husband, a better brother in Christ. I wish I was more spiritually minded. I wish I was a, be- a more um, diligent servant. I mean, there are things that go through my mind that I struggle at times. And I know I'm not the only one. And yet, we are told that God is greater than the doubts that we have. The heart that is full of question, if you will. Because that's how much he cares for us. That's what we see in this 139th Psalm. That's what we see in the rest of the scriptures that talk about a God in whom we serve. So this last ver- the last two verses, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God. Think about it. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of those precious thoughts. So if there is a sextillion number of stars in our universe, in other words, basically just say infinite. That's how precious his thoughts are for you as an individual. And for you as an individual. And for every individual. So you multiply infinity times infinity. (laughs) That's his thoughts toward those whom he's created. Now, the question and the rub is, what about those who do not love God, those who reject God? Are there not a 
a bunch of passages that says that they have no relationship with God? You know, Matthew chapter 7, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. He says, I never knew you. What he's saying is, I don't have a relationship with you. I don't know you in that, in that capacity. We do not have fellowship with each other. If, if this 139th Psalm is dealing with the intimacy, the fellowship that God has with his creation, then how sad that many who choose not to have a relationship with God because they do not believe that he exists, because we cannot see him, he does not audibly speak to us in a way that we can hear him with our ears. And so we deny his existence. But there is a remnant on this earth that see all of God's creation, realize that the heavens declare his handiwork, and sing songs of praise as we have done this morning to a God that we have not seen, but are convicted in. The scriptures make it clear that if you do not have a relationship with him through his beloved son, through the precious blood of Jesus Christ, God says, I don't know you. Well, he knows you very well. He made you. I believe he knows your thoughts as he knows the thoughts of those who belong to him through the blood of Christ. But the difference is you're not the benefactors, as we we're mentioning this morning in our prayers and in the comments that were made. We have all the rich blessings found in Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1 verse 4 tells us that. And for those that don't have that relationship, guess what? Not only does he know everything about you, and not only does he, is he able to, with his strong and mighty arm, bring you out of the pit of darkness, he's able to lead you into eternal light. That's the God that we worship and serve. That's the God we've been praising this morning. That's the God we want you to know. Now, if you're here this morning and you don't have that relationship, I beg you, please turn from your ways and turn to the Lord. Your soul is so precious and so valuable, it's infinitely more valuable than a star he named. Because he knows everything about you. And he wants you. He's jealous for you. You can have a relationship with him. You can die to yourself and rise to walk in newness of life this morning. Or brethren, if you want to return to the Lord because you've been wandering in darkness, by all means, we beg you, come back to him right now. As together we stand and sing the song.